you know, nobody gets to see behind the scenes of Instagram. Like, dude, I'm stressing out all the time. I'm pulling my hair out, just trying to get stocks ready. It's a grind. Welcome to the Finger Space Podcast, a weekly show where we will dive deep into the history, stories, and controversies surrounding the fingerboarding community. Welcome to the Finger Space Podcast. I'm your host, Nostalgia FB, and we are excited to be chatting with John of Goo LTD. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button on your streaming platform of choice. This show is sponsored by Fingerspace Co., which provides fingerboarding gear for writers of all skill levels and budgets. John, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Appreciate you having me, man. Man, how you doing? Oh, I can't complain. Just got done getting in order all the stock I just dropped right there today. And uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I saw that you quite literally just dropped stock not too long ago, maybe an hour or so ago. And I saw it on your story, or maybe you posted it. And we'll get into this in a little bit. But people, for some reason, don't like to put the shape and sizes they want in their order whenever they order their boards. <laughs> yeah, it drives me crazy. But I mean, I get it too. You know, people are in a big hurry because I mean, they go quick. But a little pro tip for all you out there, if you're going to do it, copy and paste works great. <laughs> you can do that beforehand, you know? <laughs> yeah. That is smart. So, John, the the first question we like to ask everybody that comes onto the show is, how did you hear about and get into fingerboarding? Okay, so before I was super into this stuff, I was just a you know skateboarder, and uh, I had like a construction job. I was doing tile and stuff like that, and it was like on a random weekday, and I'm just lost down a YouTube black hole, probably like two or three o'clock in the morning, where I know I got to work at like seven o'clock in the morning, and I just like stumbled upon this flat face video i think might have not even been a flat face but it, i mean you know it was mike on there and saw him flicking around and i was like damn i miss those things and then yeah i started looking into like the boards and stuff and i was like dude i can make that like why not <laughs> and this was like only 2018 i think oh wow okay so not that long ago but yeah, that's just kind of how it fell into place there. Nice. So before you rediscovered and got yourself reimmersed in like 2018, when was it first? I'm going to make a bold assumption and say you started with tech decks. Yep. Yep. Right when they first started. Yeah. I had the first round of Tony Hawk tech decks and man, I wish I still had those things, but yeah, that's where it all started too. And that's right. Whenever I started skateboarding too, it all just kind of fell into place. And I was same with Ken. So always said, you know, like I always had a tech deck in my pocket all through that time, you know, but I just had no idea that the scene was actually a thing. You know? Nice. I mean, you already described, you fell down the rabbit hole and you rediscovered all this in 2018, but as an adult, what were your first thoughts when you realized, Oh, people do this. Oh wait, people make a living with this. What's going on here? Well, you know, for me, it was like the art of it because before goo fingerboards, I used to make skateboards. I'd never made a lot of goo skateboards. I think only did like one run, but I also ran a couple other companies beforehand. So, you know, I was just already hell bent on skateboard art and skateboard design, you know, like, yeah, I've just, you know, I'm a skateboarder at heart. So I was just like blown away and I was like, this is cool as hell that people actually do it and take it seriously. I didn't even care about the money. I was just like, man, I want to make them. I want to make unique shapes. I want to make things that people have never seen. That's where the whole recycled skateboard thing came from. And that came really fast as soon as I found out about the scene. You know, I was like, I can make that. And then like literally like two, three days later, I was like, I can make recycled skateboards because I have a stack of old boards and I've always wanted to make stuff out of recycled skateboards because, you know, I'm, I'm good with my hands. And yeah, and that just rapidly, I was just like immersed in just obsessed. 
Nice. So it kind of seems like you're a builder at heart. I mean, your first thought soon after finding all this stuff is like, I can do that. Like, I know you explained it a little bit already, but can you walk us through the timeline and be like, okay, I discover this. And then you're like, okay, I can build these. How long after did, every, did the ball start rolling? It accelerated really fast. I even kind of still have the timeline in my head because I mean, it wasn't that long ago. So it was the start of like June was about whenever I fell down that rabbit hole. And then by Go Skate Day that month, I had my first stock. And it was a checkered stock with recycled skateboard split. Kind of like my, uh, a lot of people call it my classic checkered split. That's my staple now. And yeah, so really fast, like two, three weeks, I was already like, bam. And people were like, dude, I want one. I was like, okay, so yeah, I got to hurry up and make a stock. So yeah, just went from there. Man, that's very, very impressive. But did it come natural to you, honestly? Because I'll give an example for me. I make decks as well. I got a little stack yeah. of, on my unfinished boards right here. And... I probably, in all honesty, before I ever dropped a stock, I messed up probably 75 to 100. Oh, totally. Um, how was it for you? It took me a little bit. Like, I mean, I still even have one of the decks that I wasn't even comfortable selling on the stock because I was like, oh, God, this one's pretty bad. So, I mean, you know, it's not like I just woke up one day and was making killer boards or anything. It took a while. You know, it started with my prices cheap. I knew where I was. I didn't have like a pro mold or anything for like the first like six months or seven months. But after about that time, it was whenever I felt like, okay. I should be getting a metal mold now. Like I think I'm finally coming around and it's all thanks to Kems, man. That guy really like took me under his wing. He found me. Well, I think I've messaged him. I asked him like a really simple question and also, you know, said, dude, I really love your stuff. And he just kind of like looked at my stuff and he was like, all right, you're hanging out with me and, <laughs> and I'm going to show you like here, here, you should probably be doing this rather than doing this and gave me tips on like, you know, clear coat and just everything from A to Z. Like he helped me immensely. He's such a cool dude. Nice. Shout out to Kems. If you haven't already listened to that podcast episode, you should listen to that one right after this one. Oh, definitely. That's a good one. So you said you didn't have a professional mold to start, but how did you start? Because, you know, there's probably a lot of aspiring deck makers out there and, you know, not everybody starts with an NFB mold. Not everybody starts with a really expensive router or the best mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we all have these great resources now where everybody and their mom knows somebody who or is somebody who has a 3D printer. That is a great place to start. I wouldn't suggest doing that for a long time. Those molds don't last forever, but they're a great, great starting point because it teaches you kind of the do's and don'ts whenever pressing. Like, how do you keep your mold clean whenever it gets dirty? How do you clean that up? You just kind of like learn. And then, yeah. Because if I went straight into an NFB mold, you know, a very expensive, what are they, 250, 300, like I probably would have ruined my first mold, my first NFB mold, if I didn't have these 3D printed ones that I could really abuse and learn the ins and outs. And yeah, that's definitely where I would say start. Nice. I agree 100%. So you kind of skipped the whole Bondo mold situation, if you're familiar with that, with really, really early deck makers. I'm fortunate enough to have not have to gone through that hell. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, I totally know how they made them, and I'm glad I never had to because, man, that would drive me insane because I'm also kind of a perfectionist whenever it comes to something I want to do over and over again. I want it to be perfect, and if, if I had to make a symmetrical Bondo mold, oh, it would drive me insane. Yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> My dad helped me make one when I was really, really, really uh, young. Yeah, it, it got thrown in the bin very, very quickly. I bet. Yeah. Um, it didn't last very long. Man, I have to ask you. So first month, you have your first stock, it drops. You've come a long way since then in a very short amount of time, including being affiliated with a lot of 
bigger brands or more well-known brands, including Kems. I mean, you sell Black River trucks on the site. Can you just keep talking us through that expansion that happened with you? Yeah, I mean, huge to Kems. I mean, he's like one of my best friends now. We've never even met and we literally talk every single day. We're always spitballing ideas back and forth. I mean, I also, you know, broadcast decks up in Canada. He's been a big help to me too. We always spitball ideas and graphic ideas and I love his art style. And so, yeah, just, I mean, really reaching out to like other brands and becoming friends is like just key, I think. And, it, and it's great because I mean, you make great friends through all of it. And I, like I said, I've never met any of these guys, but I consider them some of my best friends. Like, yeah. And whenever it comes to, you know, my own stuff that I came up with, man, it's just grinding and learning from your mistakes. Like you're not learning unless you screw stuff up. You know, so you just got to keep at it. Whenever you're beat down low, sometimes that's whenever you find out something cool or you find out something, never do that again. Yeah, it's, just, you know, it's a constant grind. And also another tip for other people out there, Google is one hell of an app. <laughs> you know, people will ask me the most basic questions and it's like, it's hard for me to not come back with kind of a snappy attitude because it's like, well, I was there too. But what I did was I went on Google and looked some stuff up. I mean, granted, you know, you get those friendships down the line that are definitely super helpful and I'm always down to chit chat and spitball. But, you know, whenever it comes to like simple questions, man, just get on Google. It'll tell you. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I completely understand where you're coming from. And it's not that you're being snappy, but it's kind of, you know, you know, who talks very greatly about this or who had a good outlook is Jared from Northwoods, Northwoods FBCO, mm. one of the pioneers in our deck making world. When we had him on the show, he talked about how he started very early on and he literally did all the legwork himself. I mean, there was nobody else kind of doing this. There was nothing online, nothing he could really look up. And he went to his bank or his credit union or whatever it was and actually got loans taken out to start the company, get molds made professionally and all these different things. And it's, it's kind of, once you put that much legwork in, when somebody really asks you what type of glue you use or where to buy your wood or any of this other stuff, it kind of is almost insulting. Almost, yeah. It's a harsh word to say insulting, but I mean, it kind of is. It's just like, we all had to grind it out and figure it out. You can too, you know? Yeah, Northwoods, he's so rad. My hat's off to that guy. He's cool as hell. Yeah. So moving on to you and your product a little bit more. I mean, you already mentioned your crazy shapes and stuff and, and the recycled stuff you do. But you have a lot of killer artwork that you've put out over the last couple of years and graphics and such. Where do you draw your inspiration? I mean, I already know you said you're a skater at heart, but where did this stuff come from? You know, just my weird head. I've always been an artist ever since high school. I'm an art school dropout. And yeah, a lot of this stuff, especially early on, was just art I'd been sitting on for years. I just made it and I was just like, oh, I don't really know what to do with this stuff. I used to make graffiti stickers and stuff like that. And yeah, and I just kind of applied it to it. And here now, recently, I've been hiring a lot of my art. I kind of want to change my direction a little bit and I can't keep up. It's now getting a little bit out of hand in a good way. You know, it's a good problem. I can't make new shapes, new designs, just new everything constantly. It just kind of gets a little overwhelming. So I'm going to start reaching out to some really great artists that I've always adored and loved. And yeah, just really try to touch on that real skateboard vibe and keep that going. Nice. And I'm glad and I respect that, that you're being open about that. I mean, after a certain point, when, when companies expand and such, there's nothing wrong with outsourcing. I mean, there's only so much yeah. one individual like yourself can do. I mean, you're making the boards, you're designing the boards, then you have to ship them and you have to deal with all that. And it's Yeah, I'm a true one-man operation. I, I literally stamp every single piece of packaging. All my boxes that the boards come with, I stamp those all by hand. Everything is 100% just me. <laughs> 
and it's uh, pretty overwhelming sometimes. Mad, mad respect. I mean, not that a lot of people don't do that, but a lot of people really don't understand just the amount of work that goes into mm -hmm. it. And I can't even begin to try and comprehend with your operation and the numbers that you do, which are well-deserved, but keeping up at the same time. Yeah, it gets overwhelming sometimes, but I just keep at it. <laughs> so usually we like to ask how your perspective has kind of changed ever since starting a fingerboard company, but you started one right off the bat. But what do you think you've done? I mean, your company, Goo, altogether, which a lot of people take inspiration done. But what do you think is the one thing you have put out that's really put a stamp on the market? Like everybody knows that's kind of your thing, but people are starting to almost emulate it. I think the easy one, the easy giveaway is the recycled skateboard aspect. I'm pretty sure I was the first one to like mass produce it. I know there's been other people that have made them, but I was the one that was able to do it over and over and over and consistently. And I've only actually gotten better and better throughout the years that I've been doing it. Now I have it locked in where it's exactly 0.5 millimeters every single time. So I think that's the easy one. The one that I, I like to take a lot of pride in is the shape aspect. Whenever I got into the scene, you know, I immediately just wanted a goofy shape board. That's just how I've always done it on my real skateboard. So I wanted it on my fingerboards. But you could really only find like a small handful of companies that would only do like one shape or, you know, you, got, you obviously got the football or the, you know, a popsicle. But it's like, no, nah, man, like there's so many good shapes out there. And I don't think people are really utilizing this enough. I think, uh, yeah, I started pushing that a little bit harder. Now you see a lot more old school shapes, a lot more weird shapes with spikes and just really weird stuff. And they're all fun. I mean, I test out every single shape I make. It, I, I have a huge shoebox full of shapers and some never even made it to production because I was like, well, this is crap. It doesn't work. You know, so I don't like to put out shapes that don't work. And so, yeah, I take a lot of pride in the shapes and the weird aspects of the fingerboards. And you really should. I want to ask just from a deck maker's perspective and to get some insight. I don't want you to give away any too many trade secrets because we, we all know how that can be. Yeah. But you do have a lot of crazy shapes, including boards that have um, what I like to refer to as these scalloped edges that are really indented. And you do that all by hand? No, I mean, I get the, the templates 3D printed. That's the one aspect where I feel like 3D printing is going to be forever a fingerboard maker's best friend is for making your templates. So I can make them perfect every single time. And by the way, I call them ribs. I don't know. <laughs> Everybody has a different name for them, but I call them my ribs. Yeah, the shin splitter shape or the knuckle splitter shape that I make, the notches are a little bit too small for my router. And so that does have a little bit of a hand touch to yeah. them, every single one. But like the bigger grooves, like the router takes care of that just fine. Yeah. You know? So, but yeah, 3D printers, they're amazing for shapes because it's cheap to make and, you know, you can really test it out to see if it's going to work or not. And you're not out much money, you know? Can you kind of walk us through your design process? Like, I mean, looking at some of these shapes, like, okay, how does the process go where you get the initial idea and then you're like, okay, what do you do to make it happen all the way through final production? Well, this has kind of changed throughout the years too. I mean, it used to just start, I would send a picture of a deck that I liked and uh, just send it to a 3D maker guy and be like, hey, like make this work. <laughs> And then he would do his best and they're like, ah, all right, never mind. Or yeah, like, let's roll with that. But now I've been utilizing an iPad now and using Procreate and literally hand drawing my shapes now. Because that has like the assistance where you can draw the line down the middle and you can make it perfectly symmetrical. And now I can just straight up send these photos to my 3D printer guys and all they have to do is trace. Nice. They don't have to do anything. So yeah, that's where it is. And some shapes, I, 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 you know, I like see a skateboard and I want to recreate that. And then some are just like out of thin air and I just start sketching. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, try that. 
if you had to guesstimate the, the number of shapes that you've created, I mean, that we've seen or maybe not seen, how many do you think you, you've done? Oh, man, probably about 50. Yeah, I would say 50 is a fair bet. And I think what I have available is around 30, I think, counting all the sizes. But yeah, I think I've designed about 50 shapes. And yeah, obviously not all of those have made it to the yeah. production line. <laughs> I mean, just looking on your Instagram page, I mean, you have the shape guides right there. And yeah, it's a lot. Of them. And all those shape guides are incomplete. Also, sorry to everyone. I'm blowing it. I'm making a new <laughs> shape guide. Oh, man, I've got just too many to fit on one page. And I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to do it. Yeah, <laughs> but I got to do it. Yeah, you're, you're going to just need a whole section, just a whole section of the shape guides. Just make another Instagram. It'll, it'll, it'll make your life a whole lot easier, probably. I did start a new Instagram. I'm working on how I'm going to display them and like figuring it out, but it's in the early stages. I just opened that account. I think it's like new shapes or something. Like I'll be posting about that here soon whenever I get it all dialed in. So looking at your, your latest post and from your stock drop today on your Instagram that we mentioned at the very beginning of the episode, it's some more recycled skateboard plies that you have here. And this is the first time I think I have ever seen the graphic of an actual skateboard stay intact and become the bottom ply of a board. Not to give us too many trade secrets again, but what's the process of making that happen? Yeah, I don't think I can say a single word on that. Okay. There are, you know, I don't even remember the saying. I mean, there's a, there's a million ways to skin a cat, right? The way I do it is top secret. Okay. It involves a lot of very expensive and accurate tooling. But I mean, I've seen people do it just with a sanding belt. It just takes a lot of time and a lot of patience, but it's possible. So I think I did about a handful like that whenever I first started. And they're a little bit thick. I've seen some people, they've also made them just three plies, which is cool. But I, you know, I take it to the extreme and make them extremely small. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand it and I respect it. What is your inspiration or the reasoning behind not pre-shaping the boards and just selling them as they are what like why do you allow individuals to pick the shape and size that they want because like i said whenever i first got into the scene i didn't have much to choose from and i wish i could just been like yo like i want this shape and so yeah I, I make sure yeah you know i don't know i just want somebody to come to my site and even if they're like oh, i don't really dig this guy's graphics i can at least get like this simple graphic that you know he's gonna get a shape he wants you know mm -hmm. like that's that one more element of you know, I got you. It, yeah, you know. definitely a niche aspect that not a lot of people do other than, you know, almost every brand does custom boards like you can order a custom from them, but not usually are the stocks all custom boards to, to your specifications. Do you not get worried at all? This is coming again from another deck maker's perspective. Maybe you have one or two pieces of this type of veneer or recycled skateboard ply and an individual orders that and you're doing it to their specifications because it's happened to me before when I make custom boards and custom splits and then something gets away from you, the router gets away from you and then the board just gets chopped up and then you have to start all over again. It has happened about twice, both router accidents. Be careful with routers out there, kids. Uh, <laughs> luckily, I've never had any major injury on it, but I have, you know, taken some pretty big nicks to the, to the shaper. And yeah, whenever that happens, you know, you just message the customer and I'll offer them a refund or I'll offer a different split. Most of the time, customers are cool as hell. They're understanding, you know, and, you know, mistakes happen and then life moves on. And if they're mad, I'll just refund them their money and life moves on, you know. I'm <laughs> sorry. We're all human. No, it's a good outlook. I mean, you're definitely the, the craftsman to, to have the ability to be able to pull off something like that. I just look at it myself mm -hmm. and I'm like, I don't think I would ever have the guts to do that just for the fear of messing up. It used to be really gut-wrenching. It used to be. But now, I, you know, just don't think about it. Just do it. You know, just do what you've done hundreds of times. You'll be fine. So <laughs> pretty used to it now. So these 50 slash 55 millimeter boards, they sold out again, like instantly. Yeah. Is this uh, just service for the community or do you really like that shape? I hate it. 
I honestly, I hate it. I, I do have one that I fiddle around with. I have the trucks and everything, but it's definitely not my thing. I don't even like pressing them. I don't like making them. <laughs> this is pre- <laughs> they're, they're so goofy. It's too much goof for the goo, you know? I don't know. But I mean, they're fun. I get it. It's like a novelty thing that a lot of people just like take a little bit of pride and have it in their collection. Like, yo, look at this weird, weird thing. Like, let's flip this around for a minute. It's definitely not a big session heavy board, but it's a fun to flick around. I'll give it that. Nice. I mean, I'm sure you give you give them the same treatment and craftsmanship that you put into all the other ones, even if it's that. Oh, totally. Even if it's a redheaded stepchild. And if anything, they're harder to do, especially putting on the graphics. It's definitely a giant pain. There's so much concave on them. Oof. <laughs> they're weird i can only imagine what are your thoughts as a deck maker with the the fascination with heat transfer graphics i mean it's realistic everybody loves them but it almost seems and i had this conversation with lakewood i believe it almost seems you can put a graphic on a popsicle stick and people will want to buy it a, a real world graphic that is well my opinion on real wear is uh everybody needs to get this false sense of hope that once you get real wear you're gonna be a big company uh whenever i first got real wear it tanked it, it did horrible. It took me a long time to establish that this is what I'm doing. And I honestly, there's so many cool things in fingerboards and realware is just one of them. Yeah. It's not, you know, the top tier coolest thing in the world. I mean, you got splits, you got some people who just like blanks, man, and hand painted decks. I mean, there's just so much cool stuff out there that people need to quit worrying about realware so much. Yeah. It's cool, but it's not that cool. I totally agree. And I'm one of those people. I like blanks. Mm-hmm. I do. The majority of all my setups are blank. I pretty much all the boards that I make are blanks or split plies. Yeah. And I feel bad for my customers real quick. I can't offer blanks. I can't keep up with that demand. So <laughs> I do get a lot of DMs like, yo, let me get it just a blank. I'm like, dude, I can't. Because as soon as I give one to one person, everybody else is going to be like, yo, you made a blank for hand, you made a blank for hand. I, just, I would not be able to keep up, and it stinks. But that's why I like to make the splits. At least I can get a little bit of, you know, that little bit of the niche there. Yeah. I should start making some more simple splits. All right, you just, I need to write that down. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> simple splits. Yeah. Getting back to the real world thing, like, I like, and I love hand-painted boards, and I look at the craftsmanship above all else before I look at the artwork or anything else. That's what I appreciate and respect. But people were constantly asking me when I was really into my shop and, and making boards, you know, when are you going to get graphics? When are you going to get real words? I mean, can you do this? Can you do that? And it's almost like people are rather literally by, not to name any names, a really crappy board with a graphic on it than an actual piece of craftsmanship. Uh, yeah, I agree. That It's been a pretty big topic. I feel like lately a lot of people are talking about, yeah, if you get real wear too early, you're like using a cheat code, but you don't know how to use that code, you know? I started with splits. It really taught me the ins and outs of rounding and sanding and just making sure that everything is perfect. It's a little cocky to say, but I mean, I was making perfect decks. And that's whenever I finally was like, okay, now I can put graphics on it because I know what's even whatever they wear through it, it's going to be a perfect deck behind it. I'm not hiding any blems. Yeah. I don't hide anything. It is what it is there. And it's almost discouraging being a small time deck maker. Somebody, I just do it for fun. And I take a lot of time on my boards, for example. I just, I, because I don't want to name anybody else, but I literally make sure everything is rounded perfectly, sanded perfectly. I make sure, like one of my biggest pet peeves, I just mentioned this on my YouTube channel. When fingerboards, all the countersinks aren't on, stopped on the same ply, mm. and they don't all look the same. I don't know why that is, but I, every board that I make, it has to be the same, the exact same every single time. And people just don't seem to care about that kind of stuff. They'd rather buy another board that's half as good, but has that pretty sticker yeah, on it. Yep, yep, that annoys the heck out of me too. Uh, <laughs> it's just all they have to do is take the time to figure it out. And once you figure it out, you just do it over and over and over again, then you don't even have to think about it anymore. 
let, let's, you know, let's just like, I don't know, maybe this is how my brain works, but it's like, get it right. And then whenever you're doing it right, it'll always be right. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But talking about the deck making thing, how many boards do you think you went through before you were finally like, I've got it. Ooh. This is it. This is my formula. I would say probably 500. Wow. Yeah. Because I remember one day I was like looking on my big cartel and it tracks everything I do. I remember it vividly in my head, like what I was selling at the time. And it was pretty much like right before I got real wary. And, and yeah, I looked at my order numbers and I was like right around like 450 to 500. And I was like, wow, I made that many boards. <laughs> I mean, give or take. I guess there's probably a few orders of just chucks in there and stuff like that. But I mean, I mean, that was my number of orders I had. And yeah. That's the time whenever I felt like, wow, these boards are actually nice. pretty sick. <laughs> How long would you say? I mean, you've been doing this for, or you've had your fair share of hours in putting the handwork in. How long do you think it takes you? Like if you went from start to finish to just make one board, which no companies really do that one at a time. I mean, it's not just not, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. But how long do you think it would take you to just make one board from start to finish? Okay. See, I never know how to answer that question. Are we dying wood or are we not dying wood? No, we are not dying wood. We're starting at the gluing process okay. and we're finishing at fine sanding. Oh, okay. <laughs> that On a hot summer day, I can have a board finished in about 15, 20 minutes. That's very impressive. Yeah. Fresh out of the mold, time starts. Yeah. 15, 20 minutes. And that's graphic and everything. Right. Do you ever find yourself, did you ever find yourself working on boards and you're like, oh, trying to perfect it way too much and then you just end up screwing it up and you're like, what did I do? Uh, yeah, I catch myself doing that all the time and then I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Stop. <laughs> I like literally, yeah, I'll just like go way overboard on the fine sanding and yeah, I'll just literally stop dead in my tracks and like, put it down, dude, you're done. <laughs> you're going way too far with it. I think that's just my ADD kicking in there. And being a perfectionist is kind of weird because... Whenever I get boards from other companies, I'll almost never notice a flaw unless it's something, you know, catastrophic to begin with. And but whenever I make a board, and I'm sure it's the same for you, mm -hmm. maybe there's one little detail that you think maybe you over sanded the, the pocket just a little bit, but it wasn't really there. But you think it was there and you send it out. But you're like, anytime you see that board again, you're like, I know, like, but it's all just in your head. Does that ever happen? Yeah, and I've, like, learned to, like, just don't do that anymore. Just for my own sanity. And I know, especially whenever I, because I know they see my name whenever I order something. So I feel like sometimes I get special treatment sometimes, which is kind of annoying, honestly. But, yeah, I don't like to pick other people's work apart because i'm sure whenever they sent me that board they actually did yeah. put in the work for it because you know i'm not just going to order from somebody i've never seen before i'm going to order because i was intrigued by the quality by the by the art by the work that they put into it yeah and so yeah i try not to pick apart boards anymore it's just like dude they tried their best and it looks and and it always looks great you know yeah but still at this point do you ever try and pick apart your own work oh yeah yeah <laughs> Do that all the time. You're your own worst critic, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of boards that have seen trash can. So everybody's graveyard is uh, usually pretty deep if you actually care about your boards, I guess. Do do you sell your blems at all or no? Or if they're not good enough for the main stock, you they go bye-bye? I'm kind of on that team of like, you know, you shouldn't sell your blems. Sometimes it's a hard one to swallow, especially like on like a recycled skateboard one. I think I have let a blem go here or there. But, you know, if it's just a normal graphic deck and, and the blem is blem, I'm, I'm throwing that away. I, I just, yeah. Just to just to make sure there's no miscommunication. I didn't mean do you sell your blems in your main stock, but do you sell blems as blems? Oh, no. No. Okay. Usually no. I have to like local friends and stuff like that. I will do that. But I don't like shipping stuff that's flawed. I just feel like that's just doesn't look good on my company name because okay. you know what if the board gets sold or traded they're like oh wow you really let that go and it's like eh, no <laughs> no you don't know the story i've done it before like for example and my blems are dirt cheap let me try and find one of those 
I have a couple up here, just so you kind of show you what I'm talking about, but like this, like who could have known this would happen, right? Who could have guessed that the veneer would have cracked like in between where the, the screws go, right? So I would sell that, you know, highly reduced at a highly reduced rate, just because, I mean, it's still fully functioning and somebody that may not have the money to pay full price can still... I feel like this needs to be said in the way that it's being said now. Pressure cracks aren't blims. I don't count those as blims. I mean, I can see them sometimes they can explode on the pressure cracks on top from the pins. But yeah, I don't classify that as a blim at all. It's just a part of the process. Yeah. If I had to throw away every single one of those, I'd be out thousands of decks because it just happens. And I'm in Nebraska, yeah. so our climate is insane. We get the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, and our humidity is everywhere in between. So I deal with pressure cracks all the time. I've even like sometimes embraced the pressure crack where I will literally take wood filler of an opposite color of my top light okay. and put it on there just to enhance it. Like, you know, kind of like embrace the ugly side of it to make it pretty, you know? I don't think those are, in my opinion. That's a good way to look at it. That's a good perspective. Man, man it's been a fun conversation. I would love to keep it going, mm -hmm. but I've taken up enough of your time. But before we go, I have two last questions for you. First one being, in your collection, what is your favorite piece of gear and why? Oh, man. I gotta stare at my stuff. <laughs> Dude, I got way too much. Because I'm also a hoarder. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. Oh, man. Dude, I really can't narrow that down. It's okay because the answer for me changes like every day too. Dude, I'm literally drawing a giant blank. All right, so okay, out of all the products you've made, out of all the boards, shapes, and all that type of stuff, recycled plies, graphics, is there any one that sticks out in particular that you're like, man, this one was the one that I like above all else? Okay, yeah, I got two. We're gonna break down. There's two shapes that I really love and take a lot of pride in. The Goulord shape because I feel like that's uh, kind of what got my name started in the goofy shape world. That and the saw, kind of, but I think the Goulord was the bigger one. And the one that I'm obsessed with now is all thanks to C-Rat Skateboards. He made the shin splitter, and I've been buying that skateboard from him for a long time. And then I was like, dude, do you mind if I use your shape and turn it into a fingerboard? And he was like, hell yeah. Nice. And so now we have the knuckle splitter. And yeah, I can't put that shape down. It's the funnest thing I've ever <laughs> screwed around with. And it's just so cool to literally have a mini version of the exact same thing I'm riding in real life. Yeah. Did you ever send him one? Of course I did. Yeah. I got okay. to send him another one. And I think I talked to him about trying to do some more official collab type kind of thing. Because, yeah, everybody go check out C-Rat Skateboards. He, he makes them really cool. All handmade in California skateboards. Screen prints them himself, dyes them himself. I mean, he's like... The bigger version of me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Matt, you've already dropped so much knowledge and wisdom in this conversation. And the last question I want to ask is, you know, there's somebody out there listening to this that, that looks up to you or, or the company or your work. What's the one piece of advice uh, that you would give them if they kind of wanted to be like you? I know it's kind of hard to think or weird to think about somebody wants to be like me. Why? But, you know, when people are young, they admire the people that they buy from and look up to. Definitely. You know, I think my only advice is just keep at it. It's a constant grind. Like, you know, nobody gets to see behind the scenes of Instagram. Like, dude, I'm stressing out all the time. I'm pulling my hair out, just trying to get stocks ready. It's a grind. Just keep at it. And then you get to stop randomly whenever, you know, you just had a great stock or something like that. And you get to look at it and it's just like, wow, that was cool as hell. <laughs> like, it's kind of easy to get overwhelmed, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it's just like, don't. Just keep at it because it's fun. It's easy to forget, but it's fun. <laughs> very, very, very wise words. All right. John, I mean, last thing left to do is let the people know where to find you, the Instagram, all the socials, the website, and all that good stuff. For sure. So, yeah, we got GooLTD.com. That's the shop. 
please leave the shape notes. <laughs> just, <laughs> just kidding. I won't have those for a while longer, but the shop will actually be reopening Monday. What is the date on Monday? My hand is finally healed up. Yeah, I'll be opening again Monday, August 2nd. 100% graphics are coming back. Everything will be back. Goo.ltd on the Instagram. And I think that's all I got that right now. And then, yeah, I want to shout out just a couple of the homies real quick. Got to shout out Kems. Love that guy. Broadcast. Love that guy. Roll Around Workshop. He's doing really cool stuff. Baleful's doing really cool stuff. And then shout out to my team riders. We got Spencer Nuzzy. SRG, backside, frontside. Stone Garrett. And then also, big shout out to FB Doom EQ. Kind of the unofficial announcement. We just threw him on the team. That's what I got. Love all those guys. Love the fingerboard scene. It's great. Nice, man. <laughs> Nice. Congrats. Congrats to everybody. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. It's been it's been a wonderful, fun conversation. I've definitely learned a lot. I know our listeners have learned a lot, too. Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me. This was a blast. It definitely was, man. All right. And until the next one, of course, stay safe. You too, bud. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Finger Space Podcast. Thanks for skating by. And don't forget to nosebonk that subscribe button and dark slide on over to our Discord server. This episode was produced by Fingerspace Co. and hosted by Nostalgia FB. Big thanks to all guests and listeners.